0: Welcome to Sweden in Transition, the podcast that meets changemakers in Sweden. I am Sonia Lehmann, and today I'm very happy to meet Thomas Bjorkman. Thomas is an applied philosopher and a social entrepreneur, founder of the Oak Island Foundation and of many other initiatives. In this conversation, we will speak about meta-crisis and the possibility that humanity is undergoing a phase shift. This will raise questions around democracy, education and inner development. Thomas would also share what he calls the Nordic secret and give his vision of what could be this post-modern world that is emerging. Hi Thomas, welcome.
1: Hi, thank you for having me on your podcast. I'm looking forward to this conversation.
0: Me too. Before we start, can you briefly introduce yourself and how your personal journey led you to what you do now?
1: Sure. I'm Swedish. I was born in the industrial city of Borås in the western part of Sweden. I early realised that I had a talent for mathematics and physics. So I studied uh, mathematics and physics at university and thought that I would become a professional academic. But realised somehow that even though I, I really burn for and have a big drive in trying to understand the world, I also have an equal drive to try to influence the world and to change the world and to create things. So I decided to become an entrepreneur. I've started a lot of business ventures, some of them small and unsuccessful and some larger and a bit more successful. So that's been ventures in IT, in property and in banking. But then a bit more than 10 years ago, I sold my banking business and then had an opportunity to really think about what to do with the second half of my life. And I decided that I wanted to dedicate the second half of my life to really understanding the connection between our inner personal development and societal change. That's why I founded 10 years ago the foundation that you mentioned, the Oak Island Foundation, in Swedish Eksjärret. So Eksjärret actually means the small island where the oak trees Grow. That is what I've been doing for the last 10 years. So youth camps and retreats at our island outside Stockholm, but also starting a few other initiatives uh, in Stockholm, in London and in Berlin. So in Stockholm, we have uh, what we call a conscious co-working space called Klustret. We have a conscious co-living space called K9, where we have 55 people from 20 different nationalities living together and supporting each other, both in their business or changemaker activities, but also supporting each other when it comes to their inner personal growth. In London, I started five years ago t- together with Jonathan Rousson, a small research institute called Perspectiva, I'm also co-founder of the Rebel Wisdom media platform. In Berlin, we have a co-working space and a network node called the Co-Creation Loft, and also the media platform Emerge with the URL whatisemerging.com. I also had the time to write three books, The Market Myth, The Nordic Secret, together with uh, my friend and colleague Lena Anderson, and The World We Create. And I might come back to those books a bit later during the podcast
0: on your website you speak about a world that is in many ways falling apart mm. can you explain this meta crisis
1: yeah what do i mean when i speak about the meta crisis well of course today we all realize that we are living through a number of crises we have of course the environmental crisis We have the um, psychological ill health crisis. We have the crisis in democracy, a number of crises like this. But I don't think that these are different crises. I actually think that all these crises are symptoms of an underlying meta-crisis. And that underlying meta-crisis is the fact that we have collectively outgrown both our collective worldview, but also our inner capacities to hold the complexity of the society that is forming around us right now. And I believe that what is necessary is actually that we increase our inner capabilities to be able to hold complexity and change better than we are doing today but I also think that we need to change our world view. The last time we in the West dramatically changed our world view, that was during the Enlightenment, 250 years ago, when we went from a dogmatic religious way of looking at the world to adopting a scientific, rational worldview. And of course, that worldview has been very beneficial to uh, humanity. This worldview has given us not only the technological development that has given us, for example, modern medicine and penicillin and all all the rest up to internet and smartphones, but also this worldview has given us a lot of humanistic values such as human rights and uh, democracy. Of course, we should be infinitely grateful both for penicillin and human rights and, and democracy. But also, I think, more and more of us are starting to realize that we have really reached the end of the capacity of this worldview to deliver. And it might even be that these crises that we've seen, the environmental crisis, the crisis in democracy and psychological ill health, just to name three of them, they are actually results of our over-reliance on this materialistic, scientific, rationalistic worldview. I'm very curious to see what we can do at this point in humanity's development, and if we can possibly again make a huge leap and take a next step in the development of humanity. But I don't know. It's interesting times, and when we are doing this podcast recording, we are, we are just leading up to the election in the US. And I watched the first debate between Trump and Biden. It's just so clear. I mean, if we did not realize that democracy is really in danger, we do that now. And I, I think irrespective of the outcome of the election, democracy is in a very difficult position.
0: Democracy is in danger. It happened in the past. The Nordic secret is an interesting learning, maybe.
1: Absolutely. And perhaps before we go to to the Nordic secret, I might mention that from my scientific background, I think it's very helpful to understand a lot of things in the world. It's not as objects, but rather to see things as processes and to see them as very complex and sometimes self-organizing processes that can show phenomenon of emergence, where you have something completely new and more complex emerging out of a complex system. And I think it's very useful to see, for example, both our societal system, our societal culture and societal system, as one such self-organizing complex system. And when a system like that comes under external pressure, they have to transform. And the interesting thing with these types of systems, whether they are natural systems or man-made systems, is that they come to some sort of phase shift or tipping point or bifurcation point, where the system can actually go in two directions. It is not possible for the system under this pressure to remain in its present way of organizing. It has to change, but it can go two ways. It can either break down under this pressure and go into fragmentation and into a lower complex way of organizing. Or the system can step up in complexity and Arrange itself in a completely new, perhaps emergent way of uh, organization that is perhaps both more complex but in many cases also more elegant than uh, the previous way of organizing. And I believe that the global civilization right now is at such a bifurcation point where it's either A breakdown or a breakthrough that we are facing. And uh, the work that I'm doing in my foundation, but also with the other initiatives, is very much asking the question, what can we possibly do to support this emergence? Increasing the possibility of a breakthrough for humanity rather than a breakdown And of course, when you have these phase transitions and emergent phenomenon, one has to be very aware of the fact that you cannot really predict what is going to happen. So you can't really plan or manage such a transition. But I do believe that you can facilitate it and that you can create conditions that are beneficial for such a transformation. The last time in the Scandinavian countries, we were at such a bifurcation point, in such a huge shift in society. That was really, say, 150 years ago, when we went from being the poorest non-democratic agrarian societies in Europe, people were starving, 30% or up to 30% of the working population in Sweden emigrated at the end of the 1800s, mainly to the US because of the poor conditions in Sweden. And then just a few generations later, even before the Second World War, all the Nordic countries were at the top of the list of the richest, the happiest, the most stable industrial democracies. So obviously we did something right in this transition from the pre-modern to the modern world. And we should mention that many other countries, or most other countries, did not manage this transition in a peaceful way. For most other countries, at least in Europe and certainly in the US, this was accompanied with various kinds of revolutionary or succession wars. The reason for this smooth transition can be many, but certainly one forgotten reason, and Lena and I, we argue, that that might even be the main reason for this good transition, was that we had very visionary intellectuals and politicians in all our Nordic countries 150 years ago, who actually understood this of systems transition And that they wanted to do exactly that, what I mentioned a bit earlier. They wanted to create the favorable conditions for the modern society to self-organize and to emerge. And in particular, these uh, politicians and intellectuals, they knew that in times of rapid societal change, it is just so easy for us humans to want to have an outside authority to hold on to. That might be a dogmatic religion or an authoritarian leader. But these visionaries, they didn't want to be authoritarian leaders. They were firmly committed to build democracy. And they knew that the only way to build democracy is to build it from bottom up. And to do that, you need a lot of conscious co-creators who can actually navigate this, these times of chaotic transition. You need people who are n- not dependent on an outside authority, but has rather come that far in their own personal development that they have internalized the locus of control have connected to their inner compass and have increased their capacity both for cognitive complexity but also for their compassion and deepened compassion and expanded compassion to include more people. So how did they do this? And that's the Nordic secret. So they actually created a lot of centers where young adults in their 20s could spend up to six months later on with full-state subsidy, with the expressed aim of internalizing their compass and becoming grounded enough in themselves to be able to uh, act as conscious co-creators of modernity. By the turn of the last century, year 1900, there were actually 100 centers like this in Denmark, 75 in Norway, and 150 in Sweden, where young adults could spend up to six months to find themselves, to learn about technological evolution that was going on, to be able to embrace technology, not be afraid of technology, but also to be able to judge how to use technology. And they also got the basic tools for organizing civic society. How do you start a newspaper? How do you start an NGO? How do you make a speech? How do you write an article? And things like that. And speaking with today's developmental psychological language, you could say that they had identified a very important step in our adult ego development process. The step that we all as adults can take, but many adults never take, and that is the step from, in Professor Robert Keegan's language, being in a socialized mind, depending on the outside for validation and values, to becoming self-authoring. That meaning that you become authors of yourself, of your own life, in a much deeper sense. But also, at that level, you can become author and co-creator of society. In a socialized mind, you mainly replicate the society that you are living in. As self-authoring, you can create and add to culture and to uh, society. And when this was at its height, this program, about uh, almost exactly 100 years ago, then 10% of each young generation in Scandinavia participated in one of these 6 months programs. And of course, that created a critical mass and a tipping point. And especially since these 10% were not just located in some sort of isolated elite group. On the contrary, the majority of the participants in these uh, programs were from farming background or from working class background.
0: How would they be selected or...
1: It was by application. So you got the more talented and the more motivated. Later on, as I mentioned, they were funded by the state, but they were not run by the state. And that was a very clever thing, because uh, they also realized that for this to happen, you need diversity. So the programs were funded by and were framed by the state, but were run by very different kinds of organizations some were run by labor unions other ones by temperance movement others by sports movements Mm. but the aim was still the same to help people to become authors of their own lives and active co-creators of society And I think that now that we are again at one of these important shifts in society and we are again entering into turbulent times and we do not know exactly what is going to come out at the other end, we again need a lot of people everywhere in the world that have come that far in their personal inner development that they are actually active authors of their own lives and have the inner capacities to be able to be not afraid of the change, not grasping after an external authoritarian leader, but actually able to hold the complexity and act as leaders and co-creators of the new society that might be emerging.
0: So that's what you're bringing to life on the Oak Tree Island.
1: We're trying to both talk about this and try to understand this, but also from a practical point of view, help each other to grow and to develop as individuals. And we do that with youth camps in the summers, but then adult retreats and invitational conferences and during the rest of the year. To understand this all from a more academic perspective, that is the role of Perspectiva, in London, and then to bring out a discussion around these things. I hope that the platform com can help. And that we're really asking just the open question. What do you see is emerging right now? How can we all contribute to that emergence?
0: So I ask you the question, what do you see emerging right now? Mm. What is this metamodernity? You explained the transition during the Enlightenment and this bifurcation we're in. Mm. Where is it taking us, you think?
1: I think the scary thing, but also the beautiful thing in this is that nobody knows. Nobody knows. Just the fact that the technological development is now so fast that it's absolutely impossible just to say what the technological environment will be in 20 years or even in 10 years. And I believe that Just like technology, for example, the invention of the printing press, but also a lot of other things, was driving the transition from the pre-modern into the modern world. I think technology is going to be one of the drivers into uh, the next way of organizing human society. But it's very important to realize again, just like we realized 150 years ago, That technology can be used for many different purposes. We need to uh, be able to, both as individuals, use our individual agency to use technology well. But also realize that it's not just a question of individual agency. For some questions, we need collective agency. So, for example, uh, the environmental problems. We can only do so much individually, and we should do all of that individually. But to really solve the environmental problem, we also need collective action. And we are today, unfortunately, when we need this collective action, we are just so bad at organizing collective action, both on on a national level, but certainly on an international level. And in order to, for us to be able to have collective action, we need collective sense making. We need to understand the world together in order to make collective decisions that we can act upon. And unfortunately, right now, not the least driven by the social media and I really recommend any of the listeners watch the Netflix documentary Social Dilemma to realize the, the power of technology and the power of social media, both the positive but also the negative power. This is a very good example where it is not just a question for us as individuals to become aware of how we are using social media. We also need to come together, everyone, and say that our collective ability to make sense of the world is actually a common good, just like nature. And we need to collectively protect our ability to collectively make sense of the world. So it's both an individual responsibility, but also a collective uh, responsibility. Having said all of that, can I still say something about the future? If we find it difficult to articulate a clear vision 20 years ahead in time. Then we cannot just capitulate and say, well, we can't know where we are going, so we just see where we end up. That is a, a clear recipe for disaster. <laughs> more and more people realize that now. When I started the Accredit Foundation, when I was talking about the need for a radical, deep societal transformation, still five years ago or even three years ago, very few people realized how serious our situation is. The most common comment was something like this. Don't be so agitated, Thomas. It is a bumpy road, but we have the market and we have democracy. If we just leave things alone, things will eventually sort itself out. So just just trust the systems. Now, three years later, I don't hear that at all. Now I think that there is a realization that just relying on The market in its present implementation and just relying on democracy in its present implementation will not get us there. The market is not accounting for the costs of uh, psychological ill health or the cost of nature. And again, just going back to the debate between uh, Trump and Biden, it's evident now that these systems are not functioning In its present implementation. So I hope, and I'm certainly working towards, that we in 20 years still have the market and still have democracy, but probably in a different implementation. And when we talk about democracy, I think it's obvious that the feedback loops we had with campaign financing, special interests the media, logic, fake yeah, and fake news, and all of those things are things that we will certainly have to sort out. But in a more enlightened implementation, I hope we will have the market and uh, democracy in, in, twen- in 20 years. But then how can we go about to implement those more enlightened versions? And then again, we come back to this with collective sense-making. We can't even make sense of the world.
0: So we need this vision.
1: Yeah, but then my conclusion is, if we can't have a vision around a desirable end state 20 years out in the future, we shouldn't give up, and we should instead focus on the process. Saying, okay, we might not know exactly where we are going, but we could certainly talk about what do we believe is a better process for taking us there. And I've already indicated one thing that we need to do, and that is look at this process of collective sense-making. And any of the listeners more interested in in that, I would recommend Rebel Wisdom and the talks that are given by, for example, Daniel Schmachtenberger around collective sense-making and the initiatives that he he is leading. Uh, So that is one thing. But then, going back to the Nordic secret, I certainly believe that we need to increase our individual inner capacities to take part in this process and what could that be what what what, are, what am i talking about i mean when we're talking about personal development or even consciousness development that sounds very vague you can talk about developing transformative capacities within us individuals and that could be just to name a few perhaps a bit random clusters of such capacities, I would perhaps name these five. The first one would be openness in times of rapid change. Our natural instinct is to shut down and to focus and to become more narrow when we become afraid. But we can train ourselves to stay open and to stay present and to try to take in as much of the world as possible instead of shutting down. The, the next cluster of capacities, I would say, is all around perspective taking and perspective seeking to really develop our ability to see the world also from other people's eyes. But also knowing that there are perspectives that perhaps none of the people around you have access to. And that you really need to seek out those perspectives that you do not have access to. I'm not saying that all perspectives on the world are equally valid, Th- that is a postmodern fallacy. But each perspective on the world has got some sort of truth in it. All perspectives have noise, but also some signal. And by seeking out more perspectives, you get more signal. But then we move to the next cluster, which is about sense-making. And that is about discerning signal from noise. It's also about increasing your capacity to see the world in more nuances. Moving from a more primitive way of sense-making, where you mainly see the world in terms of black and white, right and wrong, us and them, to really be able to ap- appreciate the depth and the nuances of, of the world. And you might even be able to hold the paradoxes that is inevitable in human, human society without necessarily trying to, to resolve a paradox. A fourth cluster of, of capacities is all about this finding your inner compass. To really move from being in a socialized mind, depending on your environment, your peer group, uh, a political authority, for guidance and direction in your life. But really connecting deeply with the inner compass that we all as humans have inside us, but uh, it is a process to find it and to connect to it. And then finally, I, I would say that none of these uh, capacities that I have mentioned before would, would have any value if we don't add the fifth dimension here. And that is a dimension about uh, compassion. Self-compassion, empathy, and in a more multicultural society, expanding and deepening our empathy is uh, really key.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The good news is that all these capacities that I have mentioned, science clearly shows that we can develop these capacities. We are not born with a certain amount of empathy. Psychological research clearly shows that empathy and the other capacities can be developed. That's the good news. The bad news, or not so good news, is that these capacities cannot be taught in a normal school setting or anything. So, for example, if, if you and your organization have, have a co-worker that really needs to develop more empathy, you cannot just send that co-worker on a three-day course in empathy and then they come back with increased empathy. No, that, that, it doesn't work like that. All of these transformational capacities To develop them involves deeper, mostly unconscious psychological processes that form over time. So developing these capacities is something that takes months or even years. And that is, of course, why, again, going back to the Nordic secret, why those programs were six months long. Because that's sort of the time you need to really start these processes going. And, of course, they don't... You don't finish these processes in six months, but you might start them. And then hopefully they can go, follow, go on. Yeah, on can, your own road. Yeah. You never reach an end to your ability to make sense of the world or your capacity for compassion.
0: Those capacities that you just mentioned make me think of um, Otto Charmer and the fact that uh, we are moving from an ego society to an eco
1: yeah. society. Otto Charmer is actually using the language that we need to shift from an ego consciousness to an eco-consciousness. And that is very much this same shift in the way that we look upon ourselves, on each other, on society, and on the planet. And this mind shift is both a question about developing these capacities, but it's also a bit of changing our worldview. And just like we changed our worldview during the uh, Enlightenment, again, when we went from a religious dogmatic worldview into a scientific, rationalistic worldview. Today, we need a similar deep change in our worldview to make that a little bit more tangible and understandable. And again, I I would divide this into five groups, where the first one would be about realizing how interconnected and interdependent we all are as humans, realizing that we are not just these individual Utility-maximizing individuals, Mm -hmm. that the Enlightenment philosophers and economic theorists want us to believe that we are these homo economicus, but realizing that we are very, very much interconnected and interdependent on each other, not just with mirror neurons and all the new findings from neuroscience, but also just realizing how interdependent we are in society. And there I think that the COVID crisis has actually been a wake-up call for many people to realize how interconnected we, uh, we all are. And that my personal health is not just my individual project, that I should have a good health insurance and have a good doctor. I might start to realize that, my health is actually dependent on the fact that my pizza delivery person, that works on an uh, uh, in the gig economy, that that person can actually afford to stay at home if he or she is sick and can afford to see a doctor instead of delivering that pizza to me with uh, with a sick body. So that is one important shift. Then another shift is to start seeing the world mainly as things that can be analyzed and taken apart, but to see that the world is much, much better understood by looking at it as processes and complex systems, interconnected complex systems, and many of them self-organizing. So going from a, a world of things and analysis and linear relationship and Newtonian worldview to go into a more holistic, systemic worldview. Then the next shift would be to look at our own mind in a new way. So again the enlightenment philosophers they saw our mind as a rational machine. A machine that was ready when we were 20 years old and then should just function the rest of our lives. To realizing that our mind is actually one of those self-organizing constantly developing complex systems that are developing throughout life and that that is a process that can actually be facilitated and that needs to be facilitated like we did in the Nordic secret. And then a fourth group of perspective shifts, I would say, is around our society and to start to see and realize the culture that we are living in. And it's a little bit like the fish becoming aware of the water that it is swimming in. So today we very easily just take our societal culture for granted and we don't even see it. And we don't see the power structures in society. We don't see the power structures in in language. We don't see how language is forming the way we think. To start to become aware of society and the collective imaginary that we all believe in, that is necessary for the functioning of our society. But it's also important to realize that this collective imaginary that we are living in is a human creation and therefore it can be changed. And then finally, and that might be a, a, a good note to, to end on here, is that, that we need to change our view on our lives and what is really important and both individually and also collectively leave the scarcity mindset where we have almost 100% of our focus on the material aspects of our lives. In our individual lives, on making money. In our collective lives, on increased GDP. To start to realize that the really important things in life is more around meaning and purpose to find our callings, how can I, in the best way, contribute to this societal shift? But also to start a little bit to to talk about meaning and purpose on a societal level and to ask the question, for example, what is the purpose of Sweden or of EU or of humanity? And these are questions that we do not usually put to ourselves, not, not at this collective level, But if we are going to collectively co-create the future, we might need to start to ask the question, what is the purpose of my country? What is the purpose of EU? And what is the purpose of humanity?
0: Thanks a lot for this conversation, Thomas.
1: Thank you. I saw you brought a book. You wanted me to contribute with a quote and a book recommendation. Yeah, if you have. Yeah, yeah. So my quote would be from my friend, the African philosopher Bio Akomolafe. He says, my ancestors tell me we are in emergency. We have to slow down. There's a lot of wisdom in that paradox. I think that's what we need to do. Realize that we are in an emergency, but we also need to slow down. And the book that I would recommend to the listeners is a book by Giles Hutchins and Laura Storm, and it's called Regenerative Leadership. It's a book that talks about how we can transition from the present society into a new regenerative society. It might be this next step of society that uh, Lena and I in our book refer to as the metamodern society. So we've had a pre-modern society, a modern society, the post-modern critique of modernity, and we might enter into a meta-modern society. And they are asking the question, what sort of leadership do we need to move from the present society into a regenerative uh, society? And it, it's a wonderful book that is both uh, theoretical, talking about consciousness, evolution, and a lot of these things uh, as well, but also practical, really showing how how we can exercise a leadership in this important uh, transition that we are in right now.
0: Thank you very much, Thomas, for this conversation. Thank
1: you. It was a pleasure.
0: Thanks a lot to Thomas Bjorkman for this conversation. And thank you. If you enjoyed it, please share it or make a comment or leave five stars. It's an independent podcast so that can provide more visibility to it. See you soon. Bye.